Welcome. If you're a guest with us, uh, my name is Al. I'm the lead pastor here. It's an honor and privilege to preach God's word for, to you today. Uh, we have a lot going on. We're in a new sermon series. Uh, it's called The King of Kings. Uh, you may have seen this at a resource table, but it's a, it's a prayer card for you. If you don't have one, uh, make sure you pick one up on your way out. Uh, each week, we're going to have a new prayer card, so you don't need to get a lot, uh, you know, hoard a bunch, you know, this week, because there's going to be others coming. Every, every week in this sermon series, we're going to provide a new card which gives uh, Monday, uh, Sunday through Saturday prayer prompts for you and your family to, to focus on Jesus uh, and pray and, and remember uh, the, this, Christmas season, this Christmas season that it is about Jesus, the true King of Kings. And so uh, the text uh, on these cards will come right out of the sermon that was just preached. And so this is a tool and resource we want to give to you and your family to help guide and help encourage you as you put Jesus as, at, at the forefront of your family um, this holiday season. And so uh, if you need a Bible, we're going to be in it. Go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Take it, keep it, read it. It's our gift. Uh, New series title today is King of Kings, but the sermon title, the focus of our sermon today will be The Coming King. Jesus is the coming king. He has come, and we know him that he has come, and he has claimed victory over sin, Satan, death, and the grave through the, his resurrection, his victorious cruci- uh, resurrection. And so what we're doing through this series is we're going to take a step back and remember his first coming. We're going to remember through the season of Christmas that Jesus, uh, there, was a once in point, point, uh, there was a once a time where Jesus had not come, and God's people were waiting for the Savior. They're waiting for redemption. They were waiting for the, the atoning lamb to die in their place for their sins. They were waiting for the king. They were waiting for him. And so through this season, we're going to commemorate the first coming of King Jesus. We're going to celebrate his first coming. Additionally, we're going to, uh, we pray that God would, would strengthen our hearts to anticipate and long for Christ's second coming. Because he's coming back as well. And then we're going to answer the big question throughout the entire series is, what does it mean that Jesus is king? And so today we're going to go back before he's born, before 700 years, before it was prophesied that Jesus would come uh, of a virgin. And so we're going to look at that encounter where, where Gabriel the angel comes to Mary and tells her the news, the good news, that she will bear a child. Uh, and so here the, the birth of Jesus foretold. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And she came to hear, or he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So an angel shows up. Just imagine, you're just in Nazareth, you know, in the city of Galilee. You're just hanging out. You're just, you're just in the region of Galilee. You're, at, you're, you're just a young woman, uh, and you're just sitting there doing whatever you're doing, and an angel shows up. It's caused to be kind of scary. When we, read the New, when we read the Old Testament, we see that, you know, oftentimes when people came in the presence of God or angels, like, it was scary because they're holy, set apart. They're, they're, they're messengers coming to tell a message from God. And so there's, there's oftentimes a great fear. And so we see that in Mary. But what's interesting here is that what, what's happening, what's happening at the, the foretelling of Jesus to the Virgin Mary is that this is the beginning of the fulfillment of a promise that began in the Garden of Eden. All the way back. All the way back in the garden, when, when Adam and Eve had sinned and rebelled against God, there was a curse given to mankind, but also to the serpent. And, and, and the curse was, was uh, that, that, that work would be hard for man. And so if you're ever working, guys, you work a job, and you're like, work is, you know, work, and it's hard and frustrating. Yeah, it's because of sin. Sin entered the world, that's what happened. Ladies, childbearing, hard, painful, sin. That's also part of the curse. But through that, Jesus, uh, God has said that there would be, through the pain of childbearing, would, would, would birth a woman, or a woman would birth a, a, a child, 
a seed from the woman who would crush the serpent's head, who would deliver God's people from the, the sickness of sin. It was foretelling back in the garden of the coming of Jesus. Now, I want you to see here for a moment, this is a long time that the promise had not been fulfilled. He's about to show up and tell Mary, talk to Mary, and then we got nine months, at least. And maybe the baby comes early. But still, we, that's, some of us, if someone says, hey, something will happen in nine months, you're like, man, that's a long time. Like, that's a long time. Well, this had been thousands of years. Thousands of years since it was promised to Adam and Eve, our first parents, that there would be, there would be a Messiah who would come to deliver God's people from the, the sin that they willfully engaged in, in the rebellion in which they rebelled against the king. The king was going to come and deliver his people. This moment is happening in history right here in Luke chapter 1. It's happening. Imagine waiting. Waiting from, from Adam to Abraham, and then from Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Israel, to the Exodus, through the prophets, through the kings, through the whole Old Testament, to get to this moment. 400 years of, or uh, 700 years before Jesus came, it was prophesied. It was prophesied that, that, that through the virgin, Christ would come, the Messiah would come. Even 700 years, it was a long time. Every, every turn of, the, of God for telling his people that he was going to come and rescue and redeem them had been met with years and years and years and years and years of waiting. What are you waiting on the Lord for? Some of you feel like, like God has not answered your prayer or, or you've been waiting for an entire, an entire, your entire life for God to show up. Some of you, that's, been your, that's your story. You're like, I don't even know if I believe in God. I don't even know. I don't even know if he's real. There's, I've just been waiting for God to show up. Generation after generation just seems that he hasn't shown up. Then he shows up. He shows up here by, through his angel, Gabriel, meeting Mary. And speaks to her. And so he speaks to her after years of, of waiting. And the promise is still yet to be fulfilled, but it's, it's on the brink of, of being fulfilled. And so Mary has no clue what's going on. This angel is talking to her, which is probably weird, scary. She's, we do know that she's betrothed, which means she's engaged to be married, so she's not married. The text says she's also a virgin. So, she, so that's, that's Mary. She, she's sitting there. She hasn't heard the news yet. She just sees the angel show up, and she's trying to figure out, discern what kind of greeting this is. He shows up and says, I'm favored. All right, what, am I in trouble? What's going on here? This is, uh, she's greatly troubled, the text says. And so Gabriel shows up, and he's going to bless her. He blesses, he, he, he greets her with a blessing. He says, oh, favored one, greetings. The Lord is with you. I need you to see this. This is the first thing we must see in our text, is that the Lord is with her, is the, is the comfort that the angel is giving her for her fear and her anxiety and, her, and all that she's going through in that moment. Also, it's going to be the, what she needs for when she hears the news. So right now, she doesn't know that she's going to have a child. She just knows that an angelic being is talking to her, and she's scared. And he says, hey, the Lord is with you. I need you to understand, if you know, love, and trust Jesus, then that Jesus has said that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's told, we're told through the Great Commission that he is with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord is with you. And that is just not something you ascend to intellectually. It's something you need for times of deep anxiety, pressure, stress, discouragement. You ever been through one of those seasons where you've just been discouraged? Maybe you're in one now. Maybe you're in one now. If you're in one now, you need to take comfort that the Lord is near. The Lord is with you. If you're not a Christian and you don't know, love, and trust Jesus, or you've been wandering from him, you need to know this as well, that the Lord is here. He is at hand. He is chasing you. He is pursuing you. He loves you. He is coming after you. He's, he's available. He's ready. He's there. And so whatever you're going through, the, the cure for that starts, and my cure, I mean cure for the anxiety, the fear, the discouragement, starts with the reality that God is with you. For if he is with you, then he is able to help you. If he is not with you, it doesn't matter anything else. You need to see this. If Jesus is not with you, 
If the Lord is not with you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is why people give you wishful thoughts or I'm going to send good vibes to you. Who cares? Those good vibes don't make it anywhere. Do you think good vibes are, going to, are better than the, the presence of the Lord? Presence of the Lord is what we're looking for. That's what we need. And, and he, she shows up, or the angel shows up and speaks to, to Mary and says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So I want us to see that the first coming of Christ, that Jesus coming for the first time, shows us that God isn't running from his people, but he's running towards his people. God is after his people, and what you might think, because of your American mindset, is that God has waited a really, 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 really long time, like thousands of years, to fulfill a promise. It seems much. You're like, that seems much. And you're right. To you, it does. To me, it does. But to God, it didn't. It was perfect timing. And so they may be thinking, God's people, like, God, you haven't shown up. You're not near. It feels like you're, you're out there running from us. In fact, however, he's running towards them. He's running towards his people and he's going to come clothed as a man, as a baby. That's not, the, that's not what they thought, how their king was coming. They thought their king would come down from, from heaven with chariots and, you know, and, and a loud horn and a sword. That's how he returns. How he came the first time. It's like a baby. As a baby. So the first coming of Christ shows us that God isn't running from us. But he's actually running towards us. He's entering into the mess of human history. Think about that. Have you ever, some of you have said, I don't know that I want to raise a kid in the world we live in. It's crazy. It's chaotic. It just seems crazy to want to bring up a kid in the, these days. The, the, many people have said that. Guess what? In Jesus' day, they, there was a hit out on his life. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to murder Jesus before he, he reached you know, two years old, three years old. Like he, he was born into a crazy environment, a war-torn environment as well. See, this shows us that God isn't, isn't afraid of our messiness. Think about your sin. Think about your shame. Think about all the junk you've been through, all the harm and sin that has been done against you, all that maybe church hurt you have. Wherever you find yourself, God, the, what the first coming of Jesus tells us and reminds us that God isn't unwilling to enter into the messiness of our lives, but rather he chooses willfully to enter in to the, to the discouraging mess we find ourselves in. The king is coming as a baby, and it's foretold to Mary. He's coming to rescue. He's coming to redeem. He's coming to forgive. He's coming to fix. The king is coming. The coming king. Verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord, or, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now Mary's hearing the news of the coming king. She's not just hearing news that she's going to have a child. But she's hearing news that her child's going to be a king. This is a lot to take in, right? This is a lot to take in. Like, it, just finding out the gender of your child sometimes, like you're going in there and finding out the gender, that's just a lot to take in. Like, boy clothes or girl clothes, just kind of overwhelming, kind of, sometimes. Some of you are waiting, uh, you have kids or, or pregnant, waiting to the end, because you're like, it's just, I'm going to wait till the end to find out. That's just as much news as I can take. Imagine you're finding out beforehand that not only have you not slept with your uh, you know, significant other, uh, your, your, who you're betrothed to, but I mean, you haven't slept with anybody, but you're going to have a, a baby. Terrifying. How, does, how, like, how is this going to happen? This is, she asked that here in a moment. But, but so she, this is the, she shows up, the angel shows up, and he says to her, uh, you, you know, the Lord is with you, but then he follows it up with, don't be afraid, because, hey, what I'm about to tell you is going to scare you. If you think me and my glory and my angel, you know, glow, it's going to terrify you, just wait till I tell you what, what God's going to do. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. But Mary, you're having a baby. And she, I know it doesn't sound possible. Mary. And so what, imagine what's going on in her mind. She's a virgin. It's not possible for her to have a baby, but the angel is telling me that I'm, I'm going to have a baby. And what are my friends going to think? 
What are my, like, my friends, my, my, the church, you know, what are they going to think about me? What about my family? What about the guy I'm engaged to? What about that guy? Like, I'm pregnant. I haven't slept with him. What's he going to think? Like, what, imagine, guys in here, like, there's 0% chance you're going, yep, I bet the angel showed up. I bet the angel showed up and just, this is what's going to happen. The angel has to also show up to, to, to Joseph as well and kind of threaten him to make sure he, like, hey, he fulfills what God has called him to as well. Because it's that crazy of news. It's that miraculous. The angel is telling Mary that a miracle is going to happen, which means that she must, one, believe in God and believe in the miraculous and, and trust that God is going to cause a miracle to happen, namely her having a child when she hasn't had sex with anyone. It's going to happen. Then she has to deal with the consequences and the ramifications of, now i got to talk to my, 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 my fiancé, i got to talk to my friends, i got to talk to my family. Like, what does this mean for the Jewish religious girl in the context of, of, of the, the world that she lives in? And the, and the angel tells her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. God is with you. Here's what's going to happen. Notice that the, the, this, is what, this is how we should all be as gospel proclaimers or good news tellers. You notice he doesn't negotiate. He doesn't like, you know, well, I know you're going to feel. She, he just says, this is what's going to happen. Mary, you can't, don't be afraid. Just, but here's the news. When we share the gospel, when we tell uh, uh, folks about who Jesus is through his word, we just, we're just telling the news. Literally, the angel is just a messenger heralding the news. Hey, Mary, this is what's going to happen. And it's the Spirit of God who's going to have to change Mary's heart. And it's the Spirit of God who has to change individuals' hearts when we just share the news. We're just news sharers. We just tell the news. Proclaim it. He says it. Hey, behold, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a child. And here's what his name is. Jesus. She doesn't, he doesn't say, well, you know, there's a bunch of names me and God and the rest of us up there have decided on. You get one of these names. Um... Also, I don't know what you know, but I think he's going to be the, they might call him the son of the Messiah. No, she, he just tells her as it is because the messenger, the angel, is heralding the voice from God. He's just he's standing on the authority of God and telling Mary what God wants him to tell Mary. When we tell folks what's in the scripture, that's all we're doing is telling them what God wants them to know. And what, how do we know that? It's been revealed through his word. A miracle is going to happen, Mary. You're going to have a child, and you're going to name him Jesus, and he will be great. That's awesome. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. See, Jesus, her, the child she's going to have, his, his name's going to be Jesus, and he's going to be a great man. He's going to be a great man, but not just a, 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 just a great man. He's going to be the God-man. He's going to be the, called the Son of the Most High. This is a title given for the Messiah. Jesus is not just a, 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 a human man, but he is the God-man. Meaning this, that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. He's not halvesies. He's not 50% God, 50% human. He is 100% God and 100% man. He, it's God in the flesh, leaves the, the, the throne room of heaven, comes to earth, clothes clothes himself as a man, comes through the womb of this, this woman, Mary, and he's conceived in the womb. He, he, he starts off as, as, as a few cells, multiplies rapidly, quickly, till, through the, the entire pregnancy process. So then he is then birthed, just like you and I. If, you, if that's not entering into the mess of this life, I don't know what is. If you've never seen a delivery, some of you will one day and you'll know. He's literally born headfirst into the messiness of life. He is. This is, this is, and he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. Jesus is not just a great man. He is the God man. He is a sinless man. The angel foretells of this. Additionally, she says that this Jesus, Jesus will be king and he will have a throne. And the throne will come from his father, David. Now, this is interesting because right now she's betrothed to a man named Joseph who will be Jesus' earthly father. And guess what family line, legacy, and lineage he comes from? David. 
So it says early, that's why they're, they're in, in the, uh, Joseph of the house of David, back in verse 27. So Jesus is coming and through, the, through the, the womb of Mary to the, the earthly father of Joseph. Joseph's legacy and lineage point back to the throne of King David. Who the king, they've been waiting for the Messiah to come to fulfill the seat, to sit on the throne, to be the ruling king of all Israel. And, and Mary is hearing for the first time that, that Joseph will be a dad as well. And that his legacy goes back all the way to King David. And that the heir of, of David's throne, the rightful heir of the throne, is in her womb. His name is Jesus. This is awesome. This, Jesus is not just the fulfillment of, of the promise that dates back, to, to Gen, to, back into Genesis uh, to the, the coming Messiah. But he's the fulfillment of every prophecy that the, the Old Testament is telling of his, for his, his coming. He even comes through the line and legacy and lineage of David. Jesus also, it says, will reign over the house of Jacob, which is Israel. And Jesus' kingdom, it says, will have no end. I need you to see, you know what this means? This means that it will have no end. When did did Jesus' kingdom get established? Right after this, on earth. Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We talked about that last week. That means right now, ruling and reigning is Jesus, the king of kings, where his kingdom will have no end. That's where we're going in this series. We're starting here today with with the the, the coming of Christ, the foretelling of it. But where we're going to end on Christmas Eve, we're going to culminate in this big celebration Where on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at Jesus, the fulfillment of the prophecy, that he is the king of kings, of on his government and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so he's reigning over the house of Jacob, it says. That's what's going to happen in the house of Israel. And I want you to see this. Jesus is a great man. Jesus is the God man. Jesus is a sinless man. But both Jacob and David, who are mentioned here, are like us, fallen men, fallen like women, fallen humans. We're fallen men and women in this room. These men were fallen sinful men as well. Their lives were marred with sin. In fact, this is how you know, one of the ways you know the Bible is real. The Bible talks about uh, these two men, these patriarchs, David and Jacob, and it actually details all the, the horrendous things that you would want to edit out of your history. Like when you are, you know, putting up your, your, uh, your profile, think of MySpace, but I guess we're in Facebook now. Uh, but if you're putting up your profile and you want to tell people who you are, like you, you show people all the good, all the, all the great hits. This is, this is who you are. Here's all the good stuff. If you were going to write your own history, that's what you would do. You would foretell all the good things. You'd leave out some of the bad things, probably most of them. Well, guess what? David and Jacob's most horrendous moments in their entire life, the moments of their biggest regrets, the moments of their biggest failings, the moments of the most grotesque sin in their life are are, are right on the front, forefront, and of the pages of Scripture. Their stories actually tell more. uh, We we, we see more about their, their failings far too often than we do their victories. See, David betrayed one of his good friends. Kind of like Judas will do Jesus later. David does his friend, Uriah, the Hittite. How does he betray him? He sleeps with his wife. Uriah is out at war. David, the king, ushers in Bathsheba, gets her pregnant. Imagine how Bathsheba feels, kind of like, like Mary. Like, uh, this is weird. This is awkward. What's going to happen to me? What are people going to say? What are people going to think? So David, thinking he's a smart, wise guy, he has Uriah killed. This is the king. Betrays his good friend, sleeps with his wife, then murders him. Has him killed and then, and then does a cover-up. That's David. That's the great king. Like, that doesn't sound very great. David, the great king, was not necessarily a great man. What ends up happening is after he's aware of it, well, well he, he, his sin has, has festered, and then the prophet comes and tells him his sin. 
See, this is like God's word coming to you and convicting you of your sin. And what happens when he's convicted of his sin? David, this is, this is, this is the difference between just uh, uh, David the sinful man and David who becomes God's man. It's when he's convicted of his sin, when he's aware of his sin, when he's cut to the heart by the Spirit of God, he then confesses and admits his wrong. He admits it. And then he repents of his sin. He, he, he loses that child as a punishment for his sin. But he, he is a man later to be called throughout the scriptures as a man after God's own heart. See, if you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, it doesn't matter the sins of your past. It matters who you worship in the present and who you worship in the future. It matters who will you, will, you, will you come to Jesus? Will you give your heart to Jesus? Will you give your life to Jesus? Will you give your sin to Jesus? Even if you've betrayed your friend, betrayed your spouse, betrayed your God, betrayed your king, betrayed your Lord, and you, you've rebelled against him with great might. You've done harm to God, to the church, and to other people that you know and love, and you have much regret like David. You can be forgiven, you can be transformed, you can be redeemed through Jesus, the true king. So David repents of his sin, and he gets a new heart. He's cleansed, forgiven, showing that anyone, no matter what you have done, can be forgiven. That's the good news of Christmas. That's what Jesus came. This is what this kingdom brings. He brings salvation. He brings forgiveness. He brings hope and redemption. What have you done that you're so ashamed of? Maybe you're like, you're like Jacob. His name uh, means deceiver. What if that was your name in the Bible? Like, so this, God is not afraid. Look, he will reign over the house of Jacob, the deceiver, forever. God is not afraid of, of, of Jacob's sin. God is not ashamed of Jacob's folly. God is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of you. You may be ashamed of yourself. You may be ashamed of things you've thought, things you've done, and things that you've left undone. But God is not ashamed of you. This is, this is the good news of Christmas. And so he's, he's, God is not unwilling to, to identify himself with the house of Jacob. Well, what did Jacob do? Well, he also betrayed someone close to him, his brother. He betrayed his brother. He stole his birthright and then lied to his dad to steal his blessing. Like he, he, he literally uh, lies to his father, dresses up in like wool and, and garments and, 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 and masculine scent to trick his father into believing that he was the tough, rugged Esau who goes out and kills animals and makes great stew. Jacob was not that man. He was a mama's boy who sat at home and did not do anything hard in his life. And so he wanted, he wanted the blessing of the older brother, so he lied, cheated, and stole in order to get it. He wanted to earn from God something and run, earn from his father something that his father would have given him for free if he would have just waited and asked. It was prophesied beforehand to Jacob that he would be the ruler, that the older would serve the younger, that Jacob would, would be the superior to Esau. But Jacob couldn't wait. He couldn't wait on the Lord. He couldn't trust in the Lord. So he did what he could, took matters into his own hands, and shipwrecked his life. How many of you, that's your story? Took matters into your own hands, and you shipwrecked your life. It's just full of regret, full of pain. Well, it came to a moment where Jacob got so frustrated of trying to earn earn favor from God, earn favor from others, that he just gets down and does a full-on wrestling match, hand-to-hand combat with Jesus Christ himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, and they wrestle to the point where he gets his hip knocked out and he has a limp for the rest of his life and God changes his name. It's like this is the day of great salvation for Jacob. He goes from Jacob to Israel, goes from deceiver to being a man who contended with God and prevailed. God blessed him. God changed him. See, see, David and Jacob, they're not great men, but they're changed men. You may not be a great man, you may not be a great woman. Your, your, your history may be like that of David and Jacob where you feel shame. But you can be a changed man. You can be a changed woman. You can be transformed. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus has come to transform a people. And this is what the King Jesus does. He not only changes hearts, he changes minds, the way we think, and he changes the way we live. He gives us new life. He gives us his life. See, the kingdom has come, 
It says that his, his kingdom, there will be no end. King Jesus is offering you that now. So what do we need for that? What do we need for that? Well, we need the power of God. Luke chapter 1, 30, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Great question. That should be her answer. Like if it wasn't her answer, then maybe they picked the wrong girl, right? Like it, that had to be her response. How is this going to happen, angel? Since I'm only a virgin, can't have a baby, I know that much. And the angel said to her, great question, here's how. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child will be born, uh, or the, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your so the miraculous, that is amazing. You're going to have a child through the power of the Holy Spirit. And behold, your relative uh, Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived and had a son. This is in the sixth month, uh, this is the sixth month with her uh, who was called barren. Another miracle, number two. Also, Elizabeth, your relative who can't have babies because she's barren, miracle's going to happen too. She's going to have a child as well. Sounds two miracles, and for the price of one right here, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit is going to show up. He's going to show up in a mighty way. He's going to grant uh, uh, Mary to conceive and bear a child, to bear Jesus, to fulfill this prophecy that's proclaimed here. Additionally, John the Baptist's mom, Elizabeth, she's going to conceive miraculously as well with her and her husband. God's going to open the womb, and they're going to have a child. Some of you, that's your story. Like you were told, I can't have children. Now you're having children. My mom was told that she had zero children. Guess how many she had? Four. I don't know. Either the doctor was way wrong or God's way powerful. Or both. Both, actually. Because what does she say here? What does he say? Uh, the angel says, For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. If God can, if Jesus can save you from your sin, I want you to see this. If God can, can take away your sin and your debt, in uh, your, your, your shortcoming, your fallenness, and, and just cover you with his mercy and grace, give you his righteousness, then he can handle barrenness. He can handle financial debt. He can handle your emotional problems, your spiritual problems, your financial problems. He can handle them all. What is impossible with God? Answer, nothing. This isn't a verse to just wield and just say, I can get whatever I want because nothing's impossible with God. It is a verse to help us in our time of need where things look crazy and I don't know how to proceed forward. Uh, it, it just is impossible. Kind of like a barren woman having a child or a virgin having a child. It's impossible. Like if God, if you don't show up, nothing will change. I don't know how many times I've been at that point in my life where it's like, if we've done all that we can, God, if you don't show up and do something, we are without hope and we're helpless. I need you to understand, church, that's where the power of God lies. It's not in the ascending to that intellectually. It's in the moment where that's all you know and you feel that if God doesn't show up, we're helpless. God doesn't show up and, 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 and cause Mary to have a, a baby, then it ain't possible. At least not through the miraculous virgin birth. Additionally, Elizabeth, another miracle. She's barren. God shows up. So all of this sounds quite impossible. It should be for the Virgin Mary. But it's not impossible. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the power of God. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. It's the power of God that causes the Holy Spirit who comes upon her, who, who calls her to have a child. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. As, as history tells us, as the scriptures tell us, and as our confessions tell us, she was, he was conceived of the Virgin Mary, born, or conceived of the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. But let me clear up some things about Mary. Many people in our city and many people around the world have four Top, there's four top false views about Mary. So you see this and you're going, okay, she's called, whole, or she, the power of God is resting upon her. Uh, she's blessed. She's highly favored. The, what, what's up with Mary? So what has happened throughout history is we've over, some have overemphasized Mary to venerate her into a position that, she, that God has not. And others have just ignored the, the miraculous nature of the virgin birth. So we don't need to ignore the fact that 
Jesus was born of a virgin. As the scriptures has testified 700 years prior. We believe that. We believe that. Additionally, we, we, we don't believe, however, like the false teachings that go around is that Mary stayed a virgin. There's a false teaching that's emphasized often through the Roman Catholic Church that says that, that Mary was perpetually a, a virgin. That means she was always and forever a virgin, which contradicts the Bible. That's, that's the only issues we have when you say something that contradicts the Bible. We've got an issue with it. The Bible tells us that Mary had four sons. How do you have children? One time we got the virgin birth, and that's Jesus. No other times. Bible teaches four children, uh, four sons at least. She could have had other daughters, but Joseph, James, Jude, and, and uh, Simon. That's in Matthew 12, Matthew 13, Mark 6, John 2, John 7, John 5, John 10, Acts 1, 1 Corinthians 9, Galatians 1. That's Bible. That's, that's where it testifies to the sons uh, of Mary that are not Jesus. So she wasn't perpetually a virgin. I want to clear that up. So what, what, what the, the favor, the blessed and highly favoredness of, of, of Mary is not because of some, she's so unique and that she's untouchable and so we should venerate her and she's, she's this type of pure person as if sex was bad. It's not. God wanted to have, God created sex and said, hey, be fruitful, multiply. You get Jesus for free because uh, the Holy Spirit's going to descend upon you. And if, if Jesus, was, if you and if Joseph had a child, that, that kid cannot be sinless. So we need this, it to go this way. God declared it, God decreed it, and it was so. Additionally, some would say, call uh, Mary, she had this immaculate conception, which would say that she was uh, saved from original sin. Meaning some falsely teach that, that Mary, uh, because uh, she was able to, to, to birth Jesus and this favor that God had on her was because of her sinlessness. I need you to understand the, the favor that God has on Mary. She's looking at a sinful woman, marred with sin, rebelling against God, in need of a Savior, and he comes to her. I need you to see this. This, this, is, this matters so much. Because some of you will think, well, Mary can be blessed by God, but I can't. I'm so ruined. I'm so, I'm so just messed up. And you look at the fact that she was a virgin and you go, see, she was pure, clean, and I'm not, and I wasn't, and so my life is ruined, and it, it, it's just I can't be, I can't receive the blessing of God. See, the Immaculate Conception teaches this. It says that Mary didn't have original sin, which is false. Again, the Bible tells us differently. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And falling short of the glory of God. And there's no footnote that says, except Mary. <laughs> all means all. Jesus only saves sinners. He's, he's the only people he saves. Sinners. Mary, she wants salvation. She's a sinner. She was saved by the same way we are, through Jesus Christ. The third lie is that Mary's in heaven with Jesus, but everyone else is in purgatory. Well, they're right about the first. Mary is in heaven with Jesus. But she's, upon the resurrection, the Bible teaches us that there's no more holding place. That the Apostle Paul says it this way, that if you die, you're at home with the Lord. And that's far better. The fourth lie is that Mary is a mediator or an advocate. So we should pray to Mary, talk to Mary, and then she can talk to Jesus for you because you're not good enough to talk to Jesus. Well, we just got done walking through First and Second Timothy. What does Timothy say? It says that for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. What's his name? Jesus Christ. One mediator. See, Mary points us to the, 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 our Savior, our need for Jesus. Mary needed Jesus just like we need Jesus. So therefore, what f the favor that God has upon Mary is not because of her, 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 uh, anything that she has done. It's all favor based off the mercy and grace of God. In the same way, we need, Mary must re receive this news from the angel. Believe it. We must receive the news of the gospel. We must receive that Jesus really does love us in our sin. Really does want to rescue us and redeem us out of it. Really does want to give us his righteousness through faith. Really does want to transform us, cleanse us, redeem us, forgive us, make us new. And he really is in the process of it. And so all this is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so briefly, I want to give you 10 things. I know sounds, you say briefly and you say 10 things and y'all look at me like, this guy's crazy. Uh, briefly though, seriously, uh, the, the, what the Holy Spirit does, 10 things that the Holy Spirit does. And I want you to think about where you need the Holy Spirit's power this Christmas season. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just cause, you know, women to have children. He does. But he also does 10 other things. The power we need from God. To, the, number one, the Holy Spirit gives us new life and regeneration. We just prayed for that, for these children who were being dedicated to the Lord, that, that God would one day breathe his life onto them, that they'd be regenerated, be transformed, be made new. Additionally, uh, the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve, to serve Jesus, to serve his church. Number three, the Holy Spirit empowers us also to make us more like Jesus. If you look at the screen, that's where the verses are all. Additionally, number four, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are children of God. Some of you need that reminder, that assurance of your salvation. You need to be assured that, man, I am a child of God. How does a father or a, a, a mother picks up their children, puts them in their lap, speaks to, comforts? That's how children know they're part of the family. When God, the Holy Spirit, reminds you that you're a child of God, it, it feels something like that, supernaturally powerful, that you just, you just know the nearness and presence of God. God, the Holy Spirit, we see in Romans 8, reminds us that we are children of God. And like Jesus, we're co-heirs to the throne. Number five, the Holy Spirit guides and directs us. So you're like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to implement what, uh, uh, what I'm reading in God's word. Well, guess who, who helps, empowers you, and, and guides you and directs you? The Holy Spirit. So we go to God's word. We read God's word. The Holy Spirit wrote God's word. And so he, he helps us navigate the world we live in and empowers us to live the life that Jesus calls us to. Do you know who needed the power of the Holy Spirit other than Mary and Elizabeth to conceive? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus' work, life, and ministry was done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number six, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He convicts us. You ever been, see, see there's, often what happens is as soon as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, the, the enemy will, will try to condemn us, make us feel guilt and shame. So sometimes we get so afraid of being convicted of sin because we know more of what the we we know more of the voice of the enemy than the voice of our God that says, forgiven, son or daughter, beloved. You hear guilty, 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 guilty. Yes, you are guilty, but you got saved, you got cleansed, you got forgiven. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, and then number seven, give you assurance of your salvation. Romans 8, again, number 8, the Holy Spirit additionally teaches and reminds us of God's word. You're like, ah, ever been somewhere, you're talking to someone, you're like, I know what's in the Bible, can't remember it. God promises that his spirit will bring to mind the words we need from the scriptures to apply in the, in, in, in the day-to-day life that we need it. This is why we memorize scripture. We memorize it so we can, we can tuck it away so when the Holy Spirit's ready to bring it to the front, like a Rolodex, he, he, he's the fastest search engine there is, just brings it up and go, man, boom, I got it. So we hide God's word in our heart and our mind. We memorize scripture. The Holy, we, we make it accessible for the, the spirit of God to, to remind us of God's word. Or two, as we're thinking upon God's word, we're, we're, we've memorized it, we're meditating, we're, we're thinking on it, and, and God, the Holy Spirit, gives us understanding. He teaches us. Number nine, the Holy Spirit unifies Christians. Look around, you're like, maybe I'm not friends with everybody, or I wouldn't be if it weren't at this church. Well, you know who empowers those friendships, those unifying of Christians? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes people, men and women who were rebels against God, adopts them into the family through, the, through, the, through faith in Jesus, makes them whole, makes them family, unites them under one team, one banner. It's, his name is Jesus. Number 10, the Holy Spirit gives us boldness to proclaim the gospel. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to do what the angel's doing and open our mouth and share the news. In the beginning of Acts, God's people were timid. They were scared. They were afraid. The Holy Spirit empowered them to go be bold preachers. See, what, we need, what you need in this life is not just more information. 
You need the power of God. You need the Holy Spirit. You don't need more, more books to read. You don't need more information. You, don't need, you need the, the presence and ministry and power of God the Holy Spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers the mission of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that opens the womb of Mary. It's, it's the Holy Spirit of, uh, who opens the womb of Elizabeth. It's the Holy Spirit who starts the church. It's the Holy Spirit who, who empowered Jesus for his life, work, and ministry. We all need God, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power we need. So this holiday season, this Christmas season, as, you're, as we're contemplating remembering the first coming of Jesus and we're looking at real needs in real time with real issues that are before us, you need power to endure. You need power to prevail. You need power to be reminded of, of whose you are and whom you are. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Of these ten, where do you need the Holy Spirit's power the most? My encouragement to you, if you're very aware of it, you're like, all ten, awesome. But if you're like, there's one or two that I really need right now the Holy Spirit's help and power in, ask Him for it in prayer. That's your response. God, the Holy Spirit, I need you to remind me that I'm a child of God. I'm so aware of my sin, so aware of my folly, so aware of my shame. I feel like I've outrun the grace of, and mercy of you, Jesus. Remind me that there's more mercy and grace than, in you than sin in me. I need that reminder. Some of you know that so much and you sin as if like grace abounds to you and you only. And you're like, I love sin. I don't care about you know, obedience to Jesus. He loves me. He died for all my sins, so I can just keep sinning. I can just keep rebelling. You need God, the Holy Spirit, to convict you of sin. Some of you need to be taught what it means to be united in Christ and that the, the Christians who you disagree with on the other side of the aisle or at the other church, if they, if they know, love, and trust Jesus and they voted for the team you didn't like, they're still Christians. I'm not saying that there don't, there's not areas of repentance, but when you talk to a family member, a brother or sister in Christ, you're calling them back to the same Bible. Hey, we all believe in Jesus. Come back to this. Let's believe this. Let's trust this. To the non-Christian, you're saying, hey, there's a God. He wrote a book. He loves you. Come here. Hear the book. Let me tell you about it. One is fighting in the family for the family. One is trying to, to, to fight the enemy to bring others into the family. Where do you, and so some of you may need that boldness to share the gospel as it rightly ought to be preached and proclaimed. Where do you need the Holy Spirit's help this Christmas? Where do you, in this season of your life, where are you at? Will you ask him for the very thing you need? Knowing and trusting that he will supply your need. Verse 38, we're going to go back to verse 38. And Mary said, in light of all this, it is impossible it, it, nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, behold. This is her response. See it. Just, just listen. Remember all the news she just got. And, and think about all the, the information she just got in this sermon. And you're, you're here at the end. And Mary said, behold. I am the servant of the Lord. Meaning, I worship the Lord. I serve him. I worship him. I am at the pleasure. I serve at the, the majesty and pleasure of King Jesus. Yes, Lord, what is it? Let it be. So it means amen. That's what the, the, it, may it be so. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Notice that her response isn't praising the angel. She heard the message. This is when we, we preach the gospel. We preach about Jesus. They don't applaud the messenger. They applaud the one whom you speak to, speak of, and speak from. You applaud Jesus, you worship Jesus. Her response is that, hey, I've heard the news. It sounds crazy, sounds scary, sounds impossible, but you told me God, the Holy Spirit, the, one who, the only one who could do the very thing that, 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 that could be done, can do this, is going to show up. You said, he's gonna, and then you said nothing's impossible with God. And he's going to show up and he's going to do it. So, all right, I, I trust you, I believe you. Yes, yes and amen, Lord. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's, I believe I'll worship you. I'm here to worship you. I'm your servant. Let it be done according to your word. When you get to the Bible, when you read the Bible, and you read texts that you're like, ah, this seems scary. This seems frustrating. Repent of that. Move out of that house. Don't sleep with that person. Don't do these things. Believe in this. Oh, i got to change my view on, on that issue. Ah, I get. What do you do? Do you say, yes, Lord, I'm your servant. Yes, amen. Let's do it. I was wrong. You were right. Let it be according to your word. 
Guess what will happen? Guess what happens? That's where freedom is. Mary's free. She's free to worship. She's free to live. She's free to endeavor in what God has called her to. How many of us are just living bound lives? We get to God's word. We see what God says, and we're just like, nah, nah. Not let it be according to your word, Lord. Let it be according to my word. And so you spend so much of your life wrestling, resisting God. You're like Jacob in the, in the throes of wrestling, and you have not found the freedom yet. The freedom comes when you surrender. Yes, Lord, I'm your servant. I worship you. I worship you alone. All my life is yours. Like Mary, she's saying, my womb is yours. Whatever you do in my life, I'm yours. Let it be according to your word. May this be our response this Christmas season. Even in the middle of doubt, like Mary has. I'm sure she has doubt. I'm sure she has questions. I'm sure she has anxiety and fear. No matter where we're at, whatever we're walking through, may this be our response as well. Yes, Lord. Here I am, your servant. I worship you. Let it be according to your word. Let it be. I submit. What does this mean? I submit to you, God. I submit to your word. I submit to your will. I submit to your ways. When I read your word, I'm going to not lord over it, but I'm going to submit myself under it. Your circumstances may not be ideal for you. And, and, and some of you, I'll talk about this a little bit later. Our church this year, a lot of circumstances has not been ideal for us as a church. It's just not been the most ideal year for us. But at every turn, we must be the type of people who willfully say and submit, we're yours, Lord, we worship you, Lord, whatever your word, your decree, Lord, by your will, O Lord, according to your word, let it be done, Lord. If you can take the virgin and give her a child, if you can take the barren woman, give her a child, if you can bring salvation to the world that in which we are now recipients of through faith in Jesus, we trust you, Lord, may, it be your, will, may your will be done, Lord. May it be according to your word, Lord. We are your servants. We come to worship you. And that's how we're going to respond. We're going to worship Jesus through the taking of communion, through singing, celebrating, and remembering this one God, this one King, the one Savior, the God-man, the sinless man, the King of kings, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we worship you. We thank you that you have come, that you came and you, you, you lived a perfect life in our place. You died a death in our place. You've risen victoriously. And now you've given us your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to empower us for, for our lives and to, 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 to empower us for all that you've called us to. May we run to you, Jesus. Put our faith in you, Jesus. Put our hope in you, Jesus. And may we respond right now in worship of you, Jesus, saying, just like Mary, behold, we are your servants, Lord. Let it be according to your word. And so may your word, O oh Lord, reign in our hearts and minds and rule our day and our life in Christ Jesus. Jesus, I pray. Amen.